Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Kim Crawford invites you to savor amazing with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. Named in the Wine Spectator Top 100 list four times. Every sip of Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc is filled with tropical fruit flavors like passion fruit and citrus to help you experience golden hour how you see fit. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more and find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. Today, we are so excited, so, so, so excited to be joined by someone whose voice you might recognize. And if you don't, you need to fix that right away. And we're talking about past host of the show, an all-around powerhouse, Bridget Todd. Thank you so much for being with us, Bridget. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to be here. What's up, y'all? I feel like I've missed checking in and connecting with y'all, both on the pod and IRL, but I'm so stoked to be here. (laughs) Yes, yes. We have missed you too. And we've watched from afar at all the amazing things you're doing. Um, and then quarantine, you know, really put a, a damper on the, the hanging out in real time thing. But yeah, how, how are you doing, Bridget? I am. I think I'm doing just as good as anybody, you know, in this quarantine. Yeah. A lot of like really fun, exciting trips to the kitchen and to the couch and to <laughs> yeah, the bed uh-huh. and then back again. You know, it's been... Wow. Ooh, it's been a whirlwind. <laughs> okay, I, I have to say, though, as a person who does follow you on the social medias, I have seen you travel and I've been very je- jealous of your nature travels. I'm like, oh, man, look at her. She's going here and there. Oh, well, I have to say, so So before quarantine, I, I like really had the travel bug. I was lucky to work with an organization called Afropunk, which has like music festivals all over the world. So I got to sort of come along to all different kinds of fun places. But then quarantine happened. Right. And honestly, mm-hmm. it's been really fun to explore the domestic offerings of like what's in, like what's drivable. So right. kind of rediscovering, you know, Shenandoah in Virginia or, you know, the Hudson Valley in New York or the Catskills, places I can drive to safely and camp at. So it's been interesting. It's been interesting to reconnect with the places that are not too far away. Right. Your local backyard, you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot these are nice little areas to hang out in. And you, you make it look great. I'm like, oh, man, look, she's on another adventure. I'm going to sit here on the couch and just flip through her photos and pretend like I'm there. 
<laughs> my favorite pastime. What you don't see is like all the mosquito bites and all the times I had to poop in holes. Uh, yeah. and all the, all the yeah. times I had to like, you know, all the things, all the times that are less glam. Right, right. No, you you make it look good for real, for real. But I also do know, but yeah, I already know those bugs would be on top of me, and we would I would be mm. fighting with the animals. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I have a. I'm sporting a bunch of mosquito bites right now from a. I. I, I can't tell you if this is a smart thing or a very foolish thing I did, but I followed a mysterious light into the woods. Uh, that uh, sounds like the intro <laughs> to a horror movie. Yeah, Amy, and I you feel know like I you're love horror movies. Up for this. <laughs> well, I could talk about horror movies all day with y'all, but I suppose <laughs> we should perhaps come back and return to that. I would love to do an episode on that. Um, but. We wanted to talk about your new show, Bridget, which, congratulations, it's awesome. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Called There Are No Girls on the Internet. Can you tell us about this show? I'd be happy to. Um, So essentially, There Are No Girls on the Internet really explores all of us marginalized people who have experiences online. I think that, you know, I'm a woman who is what you might call extremely online. I'm always on Twitter, always on social media. I, for a time, I really enjoyed Reddit. Um, I'm not on TikTok, but I sure enjoy, you know, watching the dances. And I think that as women, as folks of color, as a Black woman, I think that our experiences so often go overlooked or erased online. And that's a real problem. You know, it's not just a problem because we, you know, we need to, if we want to have a richer, fuller understanding of what makes the internet great, we want to be able to ensure that we're listening to everybody's voice, it's a problem because of that. But it also has like very, very real world consequences when we don't listen to women, Black folks, other marginalized voices online. Um, How I got the idea for this show, it really was a couple of different things that all seem kind of disparate, but I swear they, they, at least in my mind, they interact or intersect. So the first was um, watching all of these like really horrific acts of public violence. I'm thinking about things like this attack on women in 2014 in Isla Vista, California, where this uh, gunman opened fire on a, on his college campus, specifically targeting women. Um, in Glendale, Arizona, a man live streamed his attack targeting couples, like romantic couples. In Toronto recently, a man uh, went on a machete attack that left a woman dead in Toronto, and that was like classified as terrorism. And something that these attacks all had in common was that all of the perpetrators had a very long and like documented history of online hate against women, online extremism, things like being active in like incel communities online. Like that was like very clear in, in so many of these, these instances. And I remember thinking to myself, huh, if only people had taken this like very obvious hate against women being expressed online, if only somebody had taken that seriously. Then I remember hearing about, you know, all of these women, particularly feminists, like women who identify as feminists, noting all of this like very suspicious, dangerous behavior they were experiencing online. Things like Gamergate, things like black feminists speaking up about, you know, people on 4chan, trolls impersonating black women to sort of like spread chaos and disinformation and confusion on online spaces. And then I remember after the 2016 election, hearing about a Senate inquiry saying that like, yes, we now have confirmation that you know, foreign agents were impersonating Black people on social media to try to sway the election to either get these voters to stay home or vote for Trump. And I thought, gee, if only somebody had listened to these Black feminists and these women 
when they were talking about these experiences online. And, and for me, for a long time, it was just like these, these sort of disparate thoughts of like, huh, I guess nobody really listens to marginalized voices when we speak up about our experiences online. And at this time, in my own kind of, you know, experience as a woman online, I really had to sort of think like, well, well, what is my role in this? You know, I'm someone, I've worked at tech companies, I've, you know, been online since being online was like a popular thing to do. But yet, I really siloed my own internet experiences as like, oh, well, yes, I use Twitter and yes, I make my living on the internet. But who am I to ask questions about tech policy? Who am I to ask how these platforms operate? You know, I'm not a person in tech. And I realized these things were all sort of related, that the idea that the experiences that I, Bridget, was having online did not, they were just sort of compartmentalized and like did not mean that I was able to take up space in conversations about the internet or tech. And all of the different ways that not listening to marginalized voices and and marginalized people's experiences online All of those things to me, they all kind of like equaled up to an epiphany where I was like, oh my God, we're not listening to marginalized people when they talk about their experiences online and it has real world consequences. Um, And that's how I got the idea for the show. I happen to be reading this book by Claire Evans, who is this amazing um, tech historian who writes so beautifully about all the different women who were integral to, you know, technology and the internet, people like Ada Lovelace, Grace Hopper. And I thought like, wait a minute, the internet is actually kind of our domain. Like it wouldn't exist if, if not for women, for other marginalized people. So why, why do we not have a voice? Why do we feel like our, our stories need to be siloed or compartmentalized or like they're not listened to? And, you know, connecting that to all of the in real life consequences that not listening to women and marginalized people online has, I just thought we need to do something. We need to, you know, right this wrong and kind of reframe our understanding of the internet and technology as a place where our voices matter and we we have a, a right to take up space in those conversations. And so that's really where the show was born. Awesome. I love all of that. Um, and, and first of all, Bridget, uh, <laughs> I, I remember being so impressed when you told me about your experience on Wikipedia. So there's a part of me that sees you as a techie, even though you aren't. Because <laughs> I was so intimidated to do that. And when we did that episode, we were talking about how women are missing from Wikipedia. And then we've talked a lot about how when it comes to gaming... So many of us, including myself, so many of us have just put up with this vitriol. Like that's just a part of it or been turned away. Um, And how that does lead to either people being silenced because they've left or just, yeah, like you said, not being listened to. Um, So why, why do you think... That is, why do you think these contributions that do have, to me, what seems very clear real-world implications and impacts, um, why are they overlooked? I think it's a lot of things, right? First of all, I think that in those industries, it's the same kind of systemic barriers that women and marginalized voices face in any kind of industry, right? Whether it's gaming, whether it's working for a tech platform, whether it's just like a normal nine-to-five job, you know, our our systems are not set up to allow for a lot of marginalized people to feel comfortable and like not just feel like they have a seat at the table, but that they can like actually meaningfully be involved in these conversations. You know, if you look at the, comp- like the tech industry, things like 
you know, not having paid leave or really crappy workplace policies that really keep women from not just not just rising in the ranks of those communities, but also like staying around, you know, like these policies that end up pushing those voices out. And so if you have communities where at the prof- in the professional space, women and other marginalized voices are not able to take up space there because of these policies, the people who do make those policies are going to like leave those voices out. And so they're going to be designing policies that don't take into account experiences like you have had, Annie, in the gaming, you know, in the gaming sphere or experiences that I've had online. Like people will be making policies that do not account for those experiences because their workplace policies are not, are, are hostile to those voices, right? And so that's one. I also think the other is really cultural. And I think it's like, on us to sort of combat. And I think that is the idea that things that happen on screens, whether it's on Twitter, on Reddit, on a gaming device, whatever, that it's not, quote, real life. I've definitely felt that way, right? That like, oh, whatever happens on the internet is just happening on the internet. It doesn't really have implications for the real world. That could not be further from the truth, right? Like, there's an overwhelming body of academic research that suggests that things that happen online can really translate to real world experiences. Things like, you know, acts of public violence, things like voting behavior in elections. You know, the more that we silo these experiences and say like, oh, it's just the internet, the less we will be trained to understand them and see them when they actually impact our real life behavior, which we know they do. And so I think, you know, this idea that like, oh, well, if someone is being mean to you on your gaming device, just turn it off. It's like, well, that doesn't really, you know, that doesn't really meaningfully address what's going on there. Yes, uh, absolutely. And I, I love how you talk about, we've traditionally thought of the realm of the internet and tech um, as being this masculine thing. But in fact, it is women and marginalized people who have been running it. And I remember this came up in our fan fiction episode. And yes, follow me here. Because um, I love fan fiction. I think it's a, one of my favorite, most beautiful things. Um, and it's mostly written by women and marginalized people, young girls. Um, and it's often derided, even though they made these spaces. They were the ones that like wrote the code. They made it. They saw something that was missing. And they... They fix it. Um, but we see that being ignored. And even articles afraid of it, afraid of people making these spaces and and writing <laughs> fan fiction, which to me seems so harmless, but is so therapeutic often. Um, and so I guess if you could go more into, and perhaps you could use examples you've used on the show, because you get amazing interviews on your show um, of why the internet is, it sh- we should think of it as a place where women and marginalized people are really pioneering it and it is our space. Absolutely. I'm glad that you brought up the, the fan fiction episode. I think that's a, that's a, I remember doing that episode and I, I think that's like a great example of what I'm talking about where we were the people who pioneered, you know, the, the, the internet, right? The internet would not exist if not for women and other marginalized voices, right? And to, to take that further, when you think of computers and their integration into our everyday lives, women were there at every at every turn, right? Like so, like the way that we have computers and the internet and technology now just would not be a thing if, if if not for our voices. And I think, you know, Claire Evans writes about this in her book um, that chronicles. It's called um, Broadband. Get it? <laughs> but it chronicles the untold story of women and the internet. And 
really, there is a lot of marketing that went into our understanding of computers and computing as like a male space. You know, all of these computers, commercials or software commercials in the 80s that were things like, oh, this computer is going to replace your like nagging secretary or this fax machine is going to replace, you know, your annoying wife or something. Like all of these ads go into shaping this understanding, this cultural understanding of computers and technology as a masculine space, you know, but that certainly was not the case, you know, in World War II, women were human computers. Have you ever seen the movie Hidden Figures? Like, women who were actually acting as computers themselves, that was seen as women's work, right? Like, that, like, that was really sort of, like, cast aside as, like, oh, the women will, do, will, will crunch the numbers. And it wasn't until after that 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 baton wasn't really passed to the next generation of women that we just allowed it to be thought of as you know, a man's domain. And I think that what you, the point that you make about, um, or the connection to fan fiction, it's true, right? Like, not only did we create technology and the internet that's like our domain, but also we're innovators, right? Like, I mean, I don't want to generalize, but I feel like whenever something really cool or really poppin' is happening online, nine times out of 10, there's a woman behind it, there's a person of color behind it, there's somebody who was marginalized behind it, right? Look at things like Me Too, you know, that was started by a Black woman, Black Lives Matter that was started by three queer Black women. These things that like pop off and make the internet this like powerful, dynamic, awesome thing that we love being on, all that, none of that stuff would exist if not for us. And so, you know, we have always been these amazing digital innovators, even when we are pushed out, even when we are overlooked, marginalized, we are going to keep, you know, showing up online and building monuments and making cool stuff and building movements and shaping the world online. And so I just think it's like a really great story of like resilience of, you know, you try to overlook us, you try to bury us, but we're still here, still like writing our own fan fiction, still, (laughs) you know, like doing (laughs) our thing. (laughs) Oh, she really is. You can't get rid of us. (laughs) For sure. We have a lot more of this conversation with Bridget, but first we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand. Kim Crawford does too. That's why they're inviting you to experience Golden Hour, your chance to reclaim your time and laugh with your favorite people, play your favorite song on repeat, gaze outside your window and daydream about your wildest dreams, 
or celebrate your victories. No matter the moment, you can savor it all with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. As the number one ranked Sauvignon Blanc in the U.S., Kim Crawford has classic aromas of lifted citrus, tropical fruit, and crushed herbs to help you stay in a golden hour state of mind. Because Golden Hour is more than just time, it's whenever you want to savor amazing. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more. That's KimCrawfordWines.com to find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Let's get back into it. And I like how you talk about how these women who created these hashtags and created these movements have been pushed out. Um, and that's kind of one of the things that we've been talking about about erasure, all-out erasure of trying to change history and take out the people who iconic and who created these movements. And I know that in one of your episodes, you do talk to the woman who created the hashtag Blackout Day, which became a huge controversy because it got twisted. And again, her whole uh, reasoning and her whole idea behind it started kind of being erased and being overtaken by others. (laughs) (laughs) I'll say it that way. Um, And I just kind of wanted to, if you could just talk a little bit about that, about how if you can, in the industry and in industries that are heavily influenced by social media, what that looks like and how it impacts individuals when we start to do things like erasure and not recognize the actual reasons behind these creative movements. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. So um, erasure, so in, in putting together this show, the thing that has been like, comes up again and again and again is how voices are erased online. And, you know, you could start a whole movement, a viral movement online, and people not even know your name, right? So the example that you brought up, Blackout Day, um, that was created by this woman, Mara Sebastian. She created it in her dorm room, right? Like her, her and her friends. And it just sort of took off and morphed. And people were, you know, not crediting her. People were, you know, hijacking the movement that she built and erasing her, her, you know, the creator from her own, her own creation. And I think, you know, in, in developing some of these episodes, I see time and time again that especially with Black women, it is assumed that things that we create online are just for everybody, right? Like, oh, it doesn't matter who created the hashtag. The, what matters is that people are hearing it. That may be well and good, but then somebody is, you know, is creating the T-shirt and getting the money that says the hashtag that you created. Somebody is going to go on the Ellen show and like, you know, win a scholarship or whatever for making this thing. It's so interesting to me how easy it is for especially Black women to have our labor, our talent, you know, taken and sort of cannibalized and have us as creators just being erased. And I think I think that it's a little bit complicated because I think as women, but especially Black women, you don't want to seem ungrateful. You don't want to seem, you know, salty. You don't want to seem like a hater or that you're, you know complaining in public. But, and so, and so it, the temptation can be just to say like, oh, I'm happy people are, are engaging with this thing I created. Like, I love to see that it's getting so much attention. When in reality, it can really hurt. Like in that episode about Blackout Day, the thing that really struck me about Mars's story in creating Blackout Day was not that she was like, I 
you know, I want the credit, me, me, me. She was really hurt that something that she made, that she was expected to be grateful to be a footnote on a movement that she started, you know? Like, and having to grapple with that in public and knowing the implications for being like a Black woman who has something that's not super happy, positive to say in public and having to do it anyway and like the, the implications of that. You know, I think these conversations are much more complex than we than we realize. And then we start digging and you're like, oh, there's a lot going on here. Right. And I, I completely agree. I think there's just a whole other level that, again, we, if we've talked about before and you, you guys have addressed it before, but the whole idea that in order to be successful or in order to even be a part of anything, you have to be grateful um, and you have to show, <laughs> instead Ugh. of just being like, I can own this. This is my shit. I did this. And that sounds like you're being uh, bitter and over the top, which, by the way, is an awful stereotype you place on Black women specifically. And when they are like, no, if any man did this and they got they came out and said, this is mine, you would all give him an award. As for me, you're telling us to be quiet and sit back down because you don't want to credit Black women. You don't want to credit women of color with the things that they should be credited with, one, and first and foremost, and then celebrated because they are sharing it. It's kind of just like mind-blowing. Absolutely. And for me personally, I, I had a lot of personal growth to do in that, in that department. And seeing other Black women do that in public, like, like take ownership of their stuff in public, was hugely helpful for me. I'm thinking about, you know, when Me Too first popped off, a lot of people credited Me Too with Alyssa Milano, who definitely did, like, amplify it and use her platform. But, you know, it was created by Toronto Burke, a Black woman. And watching her say, actually, I was the first person to say Me Too. I created it because I've been working, you know, with Black women and girls who have been, who are survivors of sexual assault and rape for many years. And this was my thing. Watching her assert her creation and, like, say, like, no, this is my labor. I have done it. Here's the receipts for how long I've been doing it, how long I've been in this space. And watching people say, oh, okay, like, that was hugely gratifying for me and say like, oh, you can assert yourself and say like, yeah, this is my labor. If you would like to use it, great, but he, but you're going to credit me and you're going to make sure that, you know, it's being used in the spirit of which it was created. Like watching that unfold was like hugely personally gratifying. And so I want to, I want other people who listen to the show to say like, listen, it's okay to claim your labor, your talent, your time, whatever. It's okay to own that and say, yeah, this is me. This is all me. Feel free to engage in the way that I'm comfortable with you engaging, but you're going to credit me, you're going to pay me, you're going to value me, you're going to amplify me, all of that. That's, it's okay to do that. And I think right. for some of us, stepping into that truth is hard, right. but we're so lucky and I'm so grateful to have other women like model that. Right. And I think it's hilarious because when you come down to it, it's just deservedly getting what you worked for and what you have earned. It's not asking for <laughs> additions. It's just getting what you earn. You, you, as you said, you have done this labor. So it's not like asking more than anything else. It's no, just give me my due. As well as the fact that, yes, especially now, as you were talking about in tech and in media and in social media, finding space. And for some reason, and this has kind of been a theme for me throughout uh, my time with Stuff Mom Never Told You, is trying to understand why there is an, an assertion that there is limited space. And that is not true at all. And why Ugh. that limited space is only contained for women and most likely women of color. Oh my God, how much time do you have, right? Like, <laughs> I, I think, the, like, 
like, and again, this was, I'm only able to say this through like personal growth and like self-work and seeing other women and particularly women of color model this in public, but there is room for all of us. This scarcity mindset is really rooted in, you know, patriarchy and white supremacy that says there can only be one, right? Like if I'm a, if I'm a black podcaster, I, I can only, I can be like, the Black podcaster, and aren't I lucky that it's me, I'm the chosen one. But actually, it's really lonely to be the only one. It's really lonely to like, like, I I don't want to rise up the ladder if I can't bring my friends with me, right? And so I never want to be someone's one. I want to say, okay, I'm the one, but I'm bringing her, 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 and them, 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 them with me, and we're all going to make cool stuff together, right? And I think this idea that you have to kind of be looking out for number one is just really rooted in this like scarcity mindset. And there is truly, there is room for all of us. There's room for all of our voices and there should be. There should be, and we should be elevating it. And I I just don't even understand this whole level of competing with each other. Absolutely, (laughs) absolutely. What is this? Who who said this is the way it's supposed to be? And we know who said it, and that's why it's wrong. <laughs> White men. <laughs> Damn it, you said it. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Always. Yes, yes. Um, I guess sort of tangentially related, in, in your fourth episode, you, you explored how in 2014, um, Black women in Twitter fought back against, there was like this army of fake accounts that were impersonating black women to sow discord online. And, and it was really ugly. And like, clearly, if to anyone in know, they were fake accounts. Um, but uh, why, why do you think that they specifically impersonated black women? That's a good question. I would have to say, I mean, I, I hate to say this. I think because they correctly sensed that if they were to target Black women, people wouldn't listen when we spoke up. I think that, you know, when that happened, so um, this really amazing, like, like Twitter power user, Shafika Hudson, who we speak to in that episode, she essentially was seeing all of these, like, really strange accounts mimicking Black women. They had, they had avatars of Black women, and they were clearly trying to sound like Black women, but in that way, that's like, yeah. like you sound like someone impersonating Black women. <laughs> And so, you know, she did all of this work reporting it to Twitter. It was in the media. It was in the news. And Twitter just didn't do anything. And so I hate to say this, but I think that they, the people who were doing that knew that if they were to target Black women, if and when those women spoke up, people wouldn't care because our our voices are just are just not listened to a lot of the time. And what's really sad is that, you know, a few years later, 2016 election, those same exact tactics, a Senate inquiry confirms that those same exact tactics were used to destabilize our election, right? Like, it's, it's confirmed. And if only someone had listened, if only someone had said, hey, we have all of these, you know, sock puppet accounts impersonating people, maybe we should handle this. You know, it was like a, it was like a, like a online disinformation test balloon that essentially showed them that like, oh, if we target these communities, no one's going to care. And yeah, that same Senate inquiry confirmed that no other group was targeted in the 2016 election by this kind of disinformation more than Black social media users. So clearly these people were correct in their assumption that if they targeted Black people and Black women specifically, people wouldn't listen when they, when they came forward. 
And you are someone who is on social media a lot. And um, I was I was wondering if you have seen... Sometimes I get this sense that what you were speaking about earlier, of I, uh, it, how important it was for you to see these role models claiming their space and asserting um, that, yes, this is mine, credit. Um, and in my experience, I feel like the younger generation is more, they're doing that more. So I wonder if you, being on social media, if you've noticed any trends like that, and also, um, do you have... Do you have hope that social media companies are listening to marginalized voices? Oh, I, I actually really agree with you. I think that the younger generation is definitely, I don't know if they're just smarter or savvier than, than my generation or what, but like when they put stuff out into the world, it is branded, right? Like it'll, it'll have like a watermark on it. So there's no confusion about who made this. Um, so that's been really heartening to see. And then also I think like community-driven calls to credit creators. That's a lot of C words, but you know what I mean, right? Like, <laughs> yes. you know, like I'm thinking of the girl who created like a, like a viral, um, the Renegade Dance Challenge, which if you don't have TikTok, yeah, the TikTok dance. So that was created by a young black woman, I think in Atlanta. Yeah, she's um, from Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I'm very proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's one of, of y'all's. Um, <laughs> but yeah, people had to, so like when her dance was going viral, at first that dance was credited with another TikToker who did like, like use her platform to like amplify it, but she didn't create it. And people on social media really like went hard to make sure that she got credit and said like, no, 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 she created it. If, if anybody's going on Ellen, it should be her. If anybody's going to get the get the fame, it should be her. And so I've been really heartened to see the way that, that the younger generation falls back into community and they let their community really ride for them in ways that I think are really beautiful. Um, and there's not really a lot of those voices being like, well, why do you care who gets credit? You're so greedy or you're like just chasing cloud or blah, blah, blah. No, no, no. I think that the younger generation knows that these kinds of things can be avenues to bigger platforms or whatever. And so if somebody's going to get credit, like it's, it's not bad to want credit for a thing that you made. Um, <laughs> so that's yeah. been really heartening to see. And then to your question about social media platforms... I actually think we are living in a time where social media platforms are listening more than ever. Um, I, in, in my other professional life, I work with um, women's groups. I work with a group called Ultraviolet to um, push tech companies and platforms to be more inclusive. And we've had a couple of big wins lately. You know, um, we had a great meeting with the heads of the platform Reddit, and they announced that they were going to be banning some hate groups on their site and like making some new policies and working alongside women's groups like Ultraviolet and um, other civil rights groups like, uh, ch like Change the Terms to think critically about their policies and their platforms and how, like whose voices they're amplifying and how and like what is allowed and what is actually hateful and like what to do about that. Um, just, I think yesterday, Twitter announced they were finally getting rid of the, the account of David Duke, who is like known racist. You know, they were finally going to suspend their account or his account. So I would say that like now more than ever, I think social media platforms are starting to wake up to the fact that A, what like they're, what they do matters to people's lives, right? Like this idea that tech is neutral, tech is apolitical, that's not going to fly anymore because clearly that's not true. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a really positive step. And then I also think that I think a lot of social media platforms want to be better. They want to be leaders and say like, hey, you know, I don't want to be... I don't want to be associated with the bad actors of the world. I want to be I want to be someone who makes the world a little better online and makes the experience online a little better. So, I've actually never been 
as hopeful as I am about the state of the internet for marginalized people as I am right now. Right. So I do have, because you were talking about being apolitical and that's that's not going to be a possibility, especially as what we see today um, in the last four years. What do you see or can you say to what we should be looking out for as, as we're understanding, hey, there are things happening, but there's things being done, whether it's behind your backs or being sneaky, manipulative, or for those who we should actually be listening to, what do you say for us to be looking out for out on social media? That's a great question. I would say the number one thing, especially as we head into an election, which is now like less than 100 days away, the biggest thing I have seen is the spread of misinformation and disinformation online. You know, um, one of the things that I'm really interested and excited to explore on the podcast is how misinformation and disinformation impacts marginalized voices. So like Biden is set to pick his running mate for VP any day now. If that running mate is a woman, which it likely will be, if she happens to be a woman of color or a black woman, which is likely it maybe will be, the kind of disinformation tactics that she is likely to face will be highly racialized and highly gendered. And so, you know, I'm talking about things like deep fakes, things like cheap fakes, where it's like maybe it's a real video, but it's edited without the context and disseminated to make a certain point um, that was not actually made. You know, um, things like using wedge issues to pit marginalized groups against each other. All of these things are things that like all of us seem to be looking out for online, but they are specifically weaponized against women candidates and candidates of color in ways that white male candidates just never have to face. And so I think, you know, we're a country that doesn't even really like to talk about race, right? We don't, we're not comfortable with it. Having conversations about it, we would rather not. And, And I think that when we don't have those conversations, we're not able to really see what's going on. We're not even really able to talk about it. And so particularly when it comes to misinformation and disinformation, we have to talk about it. We have to learn how to have conversations that are intersectional, that take into account how these things impact marginalized people differently and and disproportionately. So I would say definitely heading into the election, keeping an eye out for how disinformation and misinformation spreads on social media is going to be key. We have a little bit more for you listeners. Please stick around. But first, we have one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Life is busy. There are so many things on your to-do list with so little time to do them. And you're always thinking about others' needs before thinking of your own. Trust me, we understand. 
Kim Crawford does too. That's why they're inviting you to experience Golden Hour, your chance to reclaim your time and laugh with your favorite people, play your favorite song on repeat, gaze outside your window and daydream about your wildest dreams, or celebrate your victories. No matter the moment, you can savor it all with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. As the number one ranked Sauvignon Blanc in the U.S., Kim Crawford has classic aromas of lifted citrus, tropical fruit, and crushed herbs to help you stay in a golden hour state of mind. Because Golden Hour is more than just time, it's whenever you want to savor amazing. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more. That's KimCrawfordWines.com to find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. I've been thinking a lot about how we, uh, a long time ago, we did an episode on cancel culture and if that's in the news lately and a lot of misunderstanding around that. Um, But how it is like, social media being used as one of the few ways we can hold people accountable and how these things like Me Too do get started. And like people seeing, well, all these other avenues have been denied to me and finding community that way, using social media to find community that way and to to, um, call out people. And like right now in the video game world, which largely avoided the Me Too movement somehow, somehow. <laughs> they should have really been up front. Uh, like that's finally happening. And then when you're looking at like uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos, all of them in front of Congress uh, testifying and just all of these things that it does feel like we're going through a, a massive shift right now in terms of we need to take a look at these rules and we need to to change them and and i'm i'm so thrilled to hear what you said about reddit and that these things are happening and that um they're working these tech companies and social media platforms are working with the people who are most affected and who have been ignored so i absolutely do find that. yeah and i think again i think for a long time i thought like oh well who am i to have a voice like, like i was a, a reddit power user a few years ago and then i was like driven off of the platform because of harassment. I just, I, it was, I had to make an assessment of like, is this, I'm doing, I'm a moderator on a subreddit unpaid. I'm dealing with an incredible amount of harassment. The harassment was starting to seem to creep into my real life. So it wasn't a situation of like, close your computer. It was like, it seemed like people knew where I lived, that kind of thing. And at a certain point, I was just like, it's not worth it. And I was sort of driven off the platform. I think that even with that experience, I was like, oh, well, who am I to like, question Mark Zuckerberg. Who am I to question, you know, the, the, the tech CEOs of the world? I'm not, I'm not a coder. I'm not a tech person. But we all are. Like, if you use the... Like, a lot of... Most of us use the internet in some form every single day. You know, most of us are on some social media platform every single day. Why shouldn't... Just because we're not a coder or a hacker or a, te- like a quote-unquote tech person, why shouldn't these platforms be accountable to us? We're the users, right? Like, code is nothing without people to use it. And we really, we fuel so many spaces online and in tech. We, they, these people have to be accountable to us, right? Like, I, when, I, when I look back at my experience on Reddit, I'm so sad that I didn't feel like I even 
I'm so sad that I didn't even feel like I could have a rightful voice mm-hmm. about something that was happening to me, something that I was experiencing. And so that's part of the reason why I wanted, I, what I'm doing this show is because I want everybody to know that you don't have to be, you know, a tech genius or Mark Zuckerberg to have an opinion about you, the experiences that you're having. You're the expert on your experience, right? Like mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg can't tell you what you've experienced, you know. Mm-hmm. And just because these people think that they're so smart and powerful or what have you, doesn't mean that they know better about your what you're going through. And so I think like like really take feeling like you have the right to take up space in conversations about the internet and technology, I think is is really important because when we don't, we're not able to have these conversations about our own experiences. And it can almost be sort of like we like for me, I almost distrusted what I what I knew deep down about what I was going through, that it wasn't right, that like the people who ran the platform should fix it. You know, that it wasn't my responsibility to just like, you know, close the computer. I, I, sh- I should be allowed to feel, to feel safe on the internet, right? We mm-hmm. all should. And I think we have to do a lot of cultural work at retraining ourselves to, to feel okay to take up that space and to have that ownership. Okay, so Bridget, tell me this. As a person who am petrified of doing something wrong on social media, petrified, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and coming from a little older generation, I was out there when Facebook first came out. Yes, that was me. Um, <laughs> what is some advice that you would give to someone like me who were like, okay, I need to be able to learn to find my voice, but what does that look like on a social media like outlet? What does that look like for public consumption? Oof. That's such a, what a question. I mean, (laughs) it's tricky, right? I would say what's helped me, you can only be on the internet for so long before like you say something where you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't have said that. So I've definitely had that experience. But I would say in my experience, as long as you are online and you're thoughtful and you're like like open and genuine, it's it's almost sort of hard to make a big misstep, right? Like people might disagree with you. People might say like, oh, well, you don't know about X, Y, Z, and that's fine. But I think for me, it's been about showing up online with honesty and with, with a genuine interest and like coming from a, um, a good faith place, right? Because there are so many people on the internet who are committed to misunderstanding you, right? Like, like they're not interested in learning about your opinion. They're not interested in a good faith conversation. Those people can go to hell. Don't even worry about them, right? There's nothing that you, there's, there's nothing you're going to be able to say or do that's going to appease them. It will. It, they'll, they'll, they're like looking for a reason to misunderstand you. They're willfully, you know, willfully going to do so. Right. But for every person like that, there's someone who is interested in what you have to say or who wants to help you learn or who wants to help you get better or who, like who's looking interested in having like, a genuine conversation. So I would say don't focus on the darkness, the people who are just out there to make you feel bad about yourself or to make you look foolish. Focus on the people who are there to like even if you don't agree, who who are down for a good faith conversation because they exist. And I and I I want to get to a place where on our platforms we hear more from people like that, and less from people who just like want to ruin your day. And those those people are not even worth your time. Like you're not gonna convince them. There's like it's not worth the time. Don't spend your energy, you know, even trying. Good advice. I need to put that to. I need to write that somewhere. I need to write <laughs> yeah, that. Write down. that down. <laughs> I need to write this down somewhere. Um, put it above your laptop. <laughs> and also one of these things because I, I have been really the last. I know it feels like 15 years, but I know it's only like three months. Uh, has been someone like 
a crazy, crazy, crazy ride when it comes to social media platforms. How do you take care of yourself? How do you self-care being involved in that world because you're all up in that world and we're all up in that world trying to be relevant and keeping up with what's happening all over the country. And sometimes it's the best only way, honestly, to get the truth is through things like Twitter and seeing what's going on out there. Um, how do you care for yourself? Oh, uh, I so it's it's been easier at times in my life than others. Um, one is definitely breaks from the internet. You know, I, I work online, so that can be hard. And it's definitely a privilege to be able to say like, oh, I'm logging off for the week. Um, but that's key. Um, I have a friend, Sabrina, who you'll hear from on the podcast, who has worked in digital human rights in places like Syria, where like the news is like really, really tough. And she said something really interesting to me, which is that if you want to know peace, you can't be plugged in, right? So like when things are really scary, you can't like if if you want to know peace, you have to find ways to unplug. And she also had good advice for me, which was like, you know, trust that the updates that you need to get, you will get. So especially right now with coronavirus and the racial unrest that we've seen all over the country, like it can be really tough and you can feel like you need to get every single update. But, you know, what difference will it make if you get every single real-time update? Just trust that the, the updates that you need to get, you will get. You know, you don't need to be plugged in 24-7 to get the updates that will actually make a difference for, for your understanding. Um, and then I would also say just having a, having a really strong offline community, right? Like, like, I'm lucky that I have a solid community that I see, or I used to, I did see quite a bit before COVID, <laughs> but like, I, I like to stay checked in to my offline spaces. And that makes my online spaces that much richer when I know like, okay, well, the people who I, who really ride for me and who I really ride for, they don't live on a screen. They live in my house. They live down the street. They live wherever, you know, and knowing that I can check in with them and that they really, you know, see me and ride for me and that I love the internet, but it will not be, it will never be a replacement for like going for a hike with my friend or, you know, going for like a weekend with my with my girlfriends or something. So really staying checked in with my offline community. Um, and then also, I think this lastly, like not taking it too seriously. This is serious stuff. You know, we're talking about very real stuff. But, you know, it's, I just said keeping it in perspective is I think important for me anyway. And that's really helped. Yeah. Gonna write that one down too. Where's, that? Where's my pen? <laughs> Full of good advice. Um, I guess... Kind of going off of that, and and we've definitely touched on some of the points uh, to this. What do you think is at stake here? Why is this so important? Why is it critical that we listen to marginalized voices about their experiences online? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, not only is it important because we can all have a better understanding of the internet and all of its ups and downs and all the things that makes it great and not so great, we have a much, all of us have a much better understanding of that when we make room for marginalized voices and the full spectrum of identities that make being online what it is. But then beyond that, these things do have, you know, very real, real world consequences. And so, you know, from the people that bring you your Postmates or your Instacart, like how are they being treated if they got COVID, what would happen to them? You know, how you vote, you know, if Donald Trump is going to use Twitter to spread election misinformation, that might impact how you're able to cast your ballot, right? Like understanding all of these real world implications of what happens online to people who are marginalized is so important. Um, 
and, and it does have real world uh, implications. And then I would also say just, again, it just like gives us a better understanding of our world. You know, one thing that has been really interesting and exciting to me from doing this project is all the different intersections that come up online. You know, the, my experience online is different than the experience that someone might have who, who has disabilities or who is indigenous or who is trans, right? Like using the internet as a lens to understand all these experiences better, with all of these different like identities better, I think is, is so critical. So yeah, just making sure that we're making room for all of these voices and stories and experiences that make up this, you know, beautiful, messy tapestry that is our online life. Yes, 100% yes. <laughs> Fan fiction is uh, my perfect, <laughs> back to beautiful that. world. And it wouldn't exist. It wouldn't exist. If not for the internet. Yeah. People. Okay, so we're so we're we gotta you gotta come on the show so we can do a fan fiction. Oh, oh. a fan fiction <laughs> internet oh, you did stuff. It. You gotta it's true, show. right? I have said, I have long said, if I had another podcast, it would just be about fan fiction and I would have 10 listeners, but we would connect hardcore. <laughs> I could talk three about it. Three-parter three right here. Yeah, I mean, and that's what it's all about, right? We're all, we're all looking for connection. We all want to feel mm-hmm. seen and heard and valued and listened to. And like, even if it's just 10 people, right? Like, we're all looking for that. That's what we're all looking for online. And we would have a great relationship. Exactly. <laughs> Very fulfilling. Um, well, I will look out for that email, Bridget. I am ready to go. I can speak at length. Um, are there any examples you'd like to highlight before we wrap up or anything that you want to tease that's upcoming or anything that we didn't talk about that you think we really should? We have an episode coming up on Tuesday, which I'm really excited about. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm on deadline for it. So I'm like procrastinating from that by being on this show, but it's okay. I won't, <laughs> don't, don't tell Tari. <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> but it's all about, um, you might really appreciate this. It's all about the movie The Matrix and how The Matrix can be seen as an allegory for the trans experience. Yes. So take a look, take a listen to that on Tuesday. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I am so into that. And and really, it's it's an awesome podcast. Listeners, go check it out. Um, thank you so, 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 so much for stopping by and sharing with us, Bridget. Um, where can the listeners find you and, and this podcast? Well, you can find my podcast, There Are No Girls on the Internet, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcast on. You can follow me on Instagram at Bridget Marie in DC. That's B-R-I-D-G-E-T-M-A-R-I-E in DC, like the city. Or on Twitter at Bridget Marie. Um, and yeah, you can find more information about our show on tangody.com. And I hope I... I genuinely hope people will check it out. And, and also, if people have interesting stories of things that have happened to them online or in tech, I'm openly like looking for suggestions and soliciting ideas. So please, please get in touch. Yay. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Go do that, listeners. And Bridget, thank you again. And you're welcome anytime. And also, yes, I'm coming. Come I'm going to talk about Yes, please. Yes, please. And Sam, you got to think of your like oh. techie internet thing that you I like. <laughs> That's sad. That's just going to be me being sad and saying, all I like is dog photos and dog photos. <laughs> oh, no. We can find a great space. You had some pretty good pager stories that I found intriguing. Oh, <laughs> pagers. Yo, remember the codes like 911 or like... Oh, <laughs> yeah. no. What's so funny is no, I used a pager as of 10 years ago for my government job. Uh, well, my mom is a physician and she still has a pager. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she clipped it to her go. purse. Yep. <laughs> 
Someone asked me, they were like, are you okay? Because I had a flip phone, a pager, and then my actual smartphone. I was like, don't worry about it. You're like, I came here from 1997. I am a time traveler. <laughs> I have deals going down. Be quiet. <laughs> I would be into this episode is what I'm saying. <laughs> I would just be outdated technology. That's me. <laughs> I'm a, I think there's a, there's a space for that, and I would, I would love to hear it. <laughs> And if you would like to reach out to us, you can. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast or on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You. Thanks as always to our super producer, Andrew Howard. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This podcast is brought to you by Kim Crawford Wines. Kim Crawford invites you to savor amazing with a chilled glass of New Zealand's finest. Named in the Wine Spectator Top 100 list four times, every sip of Kim Crawford Sauvignon Blanc is filled with tropical fruit flavors like passion fruit and citrus to help you experience golden hour how you see fit. Visit KimCrawfordWines.com to learn more and find Kim Crawford Wine near you. Savor amazing. For those 21 and over, please savor responsibly. Constellation Imports, Rutherford, California. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect.